0: What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Phil Craft Survival Podcast. We are sponsored by TriarcSystems.com. It's T R I A R C Systems.com. Hey, Triarc's been a partner of Phil Craft Survival since the very beginning. Custom pistols, carbines, rifles, everything you need. Look, Chris Rees and the guys at Triarch have been working with us in Texas. We've been doing R&D and T&E with them, and they're one of the best companies in the firearm industry. We actually just had a good meet about some up-and-coming guns they're putting together. The gun industry is going through a lot of problems right now, but the custom gun market is readily available. Make sure you check out TriarchSystems.com and use the coupon code FIELCRAFT to save 5% on any build for anything you want at Triarch. Also, this podcast is brought to you by the Personal Defense Network. Do you want to be better prepared to take care of yourself or the people you care about in an emergency? Because the Personal Defense Network can help. They have an amazing offer for our listeners. Sign up for Personal Defense Network premium membership with this exclusive Craft Survival Deal and get a full year of their premium membership for only $3. Three bucks. I mean, literally, I have that in my ass right now. That's at ninety six percent off the normal price. Visit network dot com forward slash survival. Again, visit go dot personaldefensenetwork dot forward slash survival. Uh, that, that will also be available in the show notes on this podcast, and you guys can save. On this discount. It's a it's a community of thousands that are committed to developing their personal defense skills. And this premium membership gives you access to hundreds of full length videos, led by expert instructors in the areas of personal defense, safety, security, the list goes on. Video topics include emergency medical techniques, armed and unarmed defense, firearm training, security techniques and tactics for your home or workplace, defensive gear, and much more. Sign up for the personal defense network premium membership, for $3 for the entire year at go.personaldefensenetwork.com forward slash survival. Also, we have an affiliate, Haven Tents, local business that we're working with, fieldcraftsurvival.com forward slash Haven Tents. If you go on haventents.com or com forward slash Haven Tents, that's H-A-V-E-N Tents, use Philcraft to save $20 off of the bundle. Again, just type in the coupon code Philcraft and save 20 bucks. All right, guys. So on this podcast, I have the opportunity to talk about all of the things that Philcraft Survival is doing now and in the near future. we got new courses called Decision Point that me and Kevin Owens started. We have a virtual system, some munitions training, mindset, the pillars of preparedness that are being reframed. All kinds of goodness here in Heber City, Utah, our new headquarters. Come and visit us at our uh, pro shop as well. Um, It's up and running. Our grand opening, just so you know, if you haven't signed up yet, is February 27th at 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. Again, that's February 27th, 3 to 6 p.m. in Heber City, Utah at our local pro shop, Survival Fishing Hunting. Um, And check that out at philcraftsurvival.com. Here we go, guys. Hey, what's going on guys? Yes, we're talking about the Philcraft update. It's early morning. I'm here in the studio. I actually like coming into the studio early on by myself when nobody's here, I get more work done in the day um, before everybody gets in because it's so busy. Philcraft survival has a lot of things going on, Um, all positive things. And I'm excited about the now and I'm also excited about the future. One of the things that um, I wanted to do this podcast about is the evolution of Philcross craft survival, kind of the state of things, and communicate to you guys what's up and coming. You know, my, my business is very progressive. I, I don't look at what we do as we get settled into a comfortable position and then we just ride it out to the sunset. I'm always looking to expand, to grow, to learn to become a better company. That, that's not measured just in how, we, how much money we make. It's more measured in how we are received, our reach and engagement, um, the way in which uh, we are affecting people's lives when it comes to preparedness. Uh, one of the mission statements that I set out from the very get-go um, was I wanted this to be available for everybody, meaning preparedness is an equal opportunist. It doesn't matter who you are doesn't matter what race you are, what political side of the aisle you're on. The most important thing about this idea is if we're looking at it from an equal opportunist uh, circumstance, then we all deserve to be better prepared. And in the worst case scenario, all those things don't make sense anyway. They don't matter anyway. We need to focus on preparedness and coming together as opposed uh, to the contrary. So when I started the company, I actually said to myself, like, if I can convince that liberal to come out of San Francisco who looks at me like, man, this dude's super conservative. This dude uh, doesn't fit my ideals. It's like, how can I shape how we communicate preparedness, survival, uh, prepper, um, which, you know, that has a bad, bad stereotype anyway, and allow them to go, yeah, I get this. And it's, and it's an equal for all, right? Uh, when I first started the company, we had a lot of um, pretty out there people come up to us and say, hey, we want to you know, help help build the bunker complexes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, look, I don't have nothing against those people, but a lot a lot of those people have an idea of what preparedness is, and I, I don't think it's in line with our values um, and our tactics when it comes to preparedness. I, I, I started Fieldcraft with an understanding that special operations go out every single night in our... Ninety nine point nine percent successful, deliberately putting themselves in the worst case scenario. So the the question is why? What how? how? What makes these guys and gals go out every night? Um, What's the driving factors? How were they assessed, selected? How are they trained? You know, what equipment are they using? What assets service and support? What mechanisms and variables make them successful? And the things that I learned over time through my experiences in special operations and as a government contract can be translated and are completely applicable to civilians. Um, a lot of my peers shy away from teaching civilians because they think there's this idea that, you know, tactics are secretive or classified. Man, I, you talk about the overclassification of things in the military. When I was in the military, um, me and my warrant officer, who he probably listens to this podcast. He's a good buddy of mine, Zane. Um, I won't say his last name because he's still serving, but he's a warrant officer, and we were in intense special forces group standing up uh, commanders in extremist force. And as we were getting ready for Libya, we were doing a lot of uh, training exercises, including planning sessions. And I had a CD uh, from one of my rotations from... Operating with the Iraqi Counterterrorism Force, uh, it, it's a bilateral program where we're going out, planning operations and conducting operations. And one of these CDs had a training scenario on it that was completely created, meaning nothing was classified on it. But it it, it said secret on the PowerPoint presentation. But again, we're adding the word secret to something. Does not make it classified? But the algorithm that's uh, AKO, which is the uh, military dot mail system, which is the mail system, the email system, flagged the word secret and immediately contacted the security officer for 10th special forces group. And they had to open up an investigation. And I get that, right? You know, hey, hey, let's track this down, see if there's any anything wrong here, any validity, and let's move on with our lives. Well, this turned into a six month ordeal. where they actually told us during the investigation, you could lose your security clearance, which means that you could not be in special operations. And I looked at my warrant, I'm like, is this really happening? We had a young cherry ass captain come into us and he's like, hey man, um, I have to read you your rights and do all this stuff. And I was, you know, I was inflamed. I was a, a senior E8 in special operations. And I'm like, dude, I am about to detonate on this guy. Again, for the overclassification of things, uh, I digress, but anyways, that, that whole story for six months, I didn't, I wasn't able to log into my accounts, which is great because staying off the email meant I was in the field with my guys and it was actually a nice break. Obviously the investigation led to nothing. Um, even the security officer who I was buddies with was like, man, I'm so sorry that took place. We shook hands, we moved on and I moved on with my life after that. I was, I was completely done. Um, so when when looking at how people are trained there's a over misrepresentation of thinking that the skill sets that we learn in special operations are somehow special and haven't been in in many counterterrorism uh units operations you know strategic planning the list goes on there's nothing there's nothing that's secretive yes there are classified tactics according to you know specific mission sets that's that's going to be that but when it comes to basic principles like the fundamentals of marksmanship the fundamentals of gunfighting and self-defense um you know first aid and trauma all of these things they can be taught to civilians and you guys can be better off for it when i started fieldcraft survival there the the difficulty for me was wrapping my head around a large genre that was survival. I mean, when you look at the genre of survival, it is so overwhelming because it's everything really. I mean, you can look at yourself, your physical fitness, what you put in your body as a level of preparedness. Because if we're talking about preparedness for the worst case, uh, or we're looking at survivability as a metric. then. People die the most from cardiovascular disease. So how are you taking care of yourself? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you doing uh, the right things every single day in your habits and routines that's setting you up for success? That's just the holistic approach. So now we have to look at specific things. A lot of people think preparedness is like the EDC pistol in your waistband. It's not that. Man, it's, it's not even close to that. If you think about the pistol in your waistband, most people focus on the practice of drawing that pistol and shooting a target. But I mean, what have we gotten wrong if we've ended up in that position in the first place? And what are the circumstances that you would look at um, and see yourself using deadly force? And then what are the ramifications if you mess that up? I could tell you from experience and knowing people and even myself who has pulled uh, pistols on on people that it it is a it is a whole set of circumstances that that aren't taught real well and aren't discussed enough. So I started this thing called Pillars of Preparedness and you know it's kind of shaped itself into something different today kind of but we've always had the foundation. So if I was going to look at the Pillars of Preparedness. The idea is it creates a construct or like a understanding of the path that I need to follow to be better prepared. The first thing I want you to think about is the foundation. The foundation is community. I thought getting out of the military that I could hide away in a cabin in the middle of the mountains, in the middle of the woods, and I did. Now, beautiful Durango, Colorado, I was able to do that, but in isolation with no internet or intermittent internet and not around people, including friends and family, while I was trying to grow a business was not advantageous. Wasn't advantageous for my mental health and wellness, but also not advantageous in the worst case scenario. There's a, there's a cool book called War by Sebastian Younger. And in this book, Sebastian talks about the idea of tribe. And actually, it's, I think it actually is called tribe. There's a, another book by, uh, called War, but tribe is the book. Um, in this book, Tribe, he talks about specific instances of people experiencing worst-case scenarios. One of those examples was London, England, where they were getting bombarded by the Nazi Germany. Uh, when this was taking place, the, the idea that they were getting beat into submission was, you know, I, you could assume that. I mean, if you're getting beat down, you could assume that your morale's low, that you're not feeling well, that there's depression, mental health, all these issues. But from people, from eyewitness accounts and reports, they were happy because they were bonded. And they were bonded together going through this catastrophe or overcoming adversity together. And that community banded together and they didn't fold. And that's what's important to understand about this idea of community or tribe. I don't like using tribe. Uh, tribalism has been seen as a seen as a more negative thing. Uh, the term is uh, negatively associated with um, like a elitism or tribalism, and and you know separating yourself and not including anybody else. I don't like that. I like the idea of community. Look, years ago when I was growing up in the eighties, like. I would get up and go outside and play with my neighbors kids and I knew my neighbors uh, kids parents. I knew my friends parents and then I could go spend the night across to another neighborhood with my buddy because my dad knew my buddy's parents and there were these relationships that were built. I mean my dad knew my teachers. I think he even dated one of my teachers at one point. It's kind of weird. But there was a whole uh, community feel about people interacting physically in person. That's what we're missing a lot in our communities now. I mean, ask yourself right now. Listen to this podcast. Do you know your neighbors? Maybe not. More likely not. If you live in an apartment, in a condo, in the barracks, do you know your neighbors? I mean, do you know people around you, above you, below you, next to you? What are you going to do in the worst case scenario when you're leaning on each other? Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to bring into the fold? Who's the asset? Who's the liability? You need to determine these things because community is how we overcome. When you come up from community, which is the foundation, you have to look at what we call the actual pillars preparedness and i broke it down into three easy things everyday carry mobility and homestead now everyday carry the assumption is everyday carry is what you carry in your waistband or what kind of pistol you carry but i'm not talking about everyday carry in self-defense only i'm talking about what do you carry on your person what shoes do you wear what socks do you wear what do you think about when you leave the house because the idea Look, I went to a uh, a really cool survival school when I was in uh, as a government contractor, and this this school taught you how to escape and evade and survive for over a seventy or a seventy two hour period. The reason being is you could be in a foreign country, and that country could collapse. I mean, I've been in many of those Yemen, Libya, and when that company collapses and you have to escape and evade, you're only going to be able to likely to take what you have on your person, on your physical body. So you have to think about that and and ask yourself right now, what if something bad happened right now? What if you were displaced from your vehicle? What if you had to get back to your family and you had only what you carried in your pockets or in your bag? I I like to carry an everyday carry bag, like a pack that I carry with me. Why? Because when things hit the fan, I wanna have more that I can carry on me via the sling that's on my bag to be able to facilitate my survival. What do I carry? Well, I carry a, a tourniquet. I carry a basic hemorrhage response kit that we sell at Footcraft Survival, which is a stop the bleed kit. I, sell, or I have a flashlight, a, a Surefire, and a headlamp, a Petzl. I have a pistol. I have a spare magazine. I have a Mylar space blanket. I have a compass depending on where I am I might have a map a street map a city street map uh, a rural map I have a GPS I have sometimes depending on where I'm traveling if it's super remote a sat phone depending on where I go I might have a ham radio now you would ask yourself like Mike why would I need that like I don't run into that all the time so first responders don't plan for the best case scenario. They plan for the worst case scenario. So if you're setting yourself up in everyday carry to to plan for the best case. Yeah, sure. You won't carry anything. I mean, you'll be in yoga pants all day. Pajamas. But if we're considering the fact that accidents happen natural and man-made disasters happen then we have to consider upping our game and that's everyday carry mobility. Let's talk about mobility. Man, sorry. The CBD, like Mango Tango CBD uh, Kill Cliffs are my favorite. I don't remember my coupon code. I think it's Philcraft10. Um, But yeah, save 10%. Um, I'm a big fan of CBD cannabinoid receptors that are in your body. These activate them and kind of turns down the noise a little bit for me. Um, Mango Tango. Also, they support the Navy Seal Foundation, which I think is cool. Um... I should probably not drink 10 of these a day. That's probably not good. All right. So if you're looking at mobility, we have to look at mobility um, because a lot of our routines are built into the travel, the commute of a vehicle. So if you live anywhere in the city and you're not using public transportation, you are commuting. If you're rural, going into a city, city, going into a rural area, whatever they might be, I mean, the average person spends hours per day in their vehicle. It is your lifeline. I'm actually sitting down, looking through a window, looking at my vehicle. So the question is, if things go wrong, how is that vehicle going to facilitate your survival? If I'm looking at that vehicle and it's got a quarter tank of gas, well, guess what? I don't care if you have a hundred thousand dollar mobility rig. That's all you got is a quarter tank of gas. And then you got a paperweight um, at the end of that. So how are you setting up your rig? Uh, I call my rig my extension of my rucksack, meaning an extension of the things that I carry and upgrading my capability. If I'm carrying a tourniquet, I want the aid bag that has more robustness inside of that mobility platform. Uh, big considerations fuel tires ground clearance and off-road capability that's that's an easy one because I want the fuel stores I want to carry more fuel uh, carry it at your house if you have to I want the ability to go off-road and an all-terrain tire with ground clearance is essential and maybe having an all wheel drive or four-wheel drive vehicle look it's not necessary People have asked me, hey, Mike, I'm on a budget, man. I got a Honda Civic. What can I do? Well, you, you could do a lot. If your trunk's empty, load out your trunk with a go bag. We sell a mobility, uh, mobility bag that goes as a panel pack on the back of your seat that allows you to carry med um, med gear, survival gear. But then you could un- zip it up and then essentially turn it into a go bag. That's important. We, t- we sell a visor kit that goes on your visor that allows you to carry med and survival. That's important one it's in arms reach too. if you have to bug out and displace you have an option. The last one is homestead homestead is your home your bed down location the place that you go every night. I mean the correlation from special operations to civilian is we used to use safe houses. Bed down locations patrol bases safe houses are places that allow me to refit reorganize defend fight. Do whatever I have to do, because I could sustain survivability over the long haul. The question for me to you is, how much food do you have on store? How much water do you have on store? If the electricity went out for two weeks, could you sustain? Man, when I was in Prescott, Arizona, I had uh, power go out um, every time there was a snowstorm. And that power was out for three to five days. Every single time. It was problematic. But every single time. My neighbors would be in the cold. Like literally in the cold. Not too many fireplaces in Arizona, but Prescott gets snow. So a lot of these houses still didn't have it. Uh, these were summer homes, but people would be displaced, and now they were cold. I, had a, I sometimes I went door to door to make sure my neighbors were okay. Why? Because I had heat. Because I had a Generac seventeen kilowatt generator that was fed by propane and allowed me to keep my power on. So ask yourself, what happens when basic disasters strike? A basic disaster is the things that happen in routine and statistically are more probable. A tornado, a hurricane, a storm, an ice storm, a snowstorm, earthquakes. These things happen in frequency in our environments, but a lot of people just suck it up. I just saw a report from North American Rescue's Instagram page of an accident that took place where eight people were killed because of ice on the road. I can't even believe that, but I mean, it happens. So start thinking about homesteading, start thinking about food, rations, provisions. One thing I like to think about in all of this stuff that I'm talking about that's tangible is this idea of being more self-reliant. You need to be more self-reliant. Man, if, if anything, look Look at how much dependency you have. If that's on the grid, if that's on uh, you know, the government paycheck, whatever that is, let's start cutting our dependency. If that's on the grocery store, I'm not a big fan of grocery stores and factory farming. I like supporting small business. I also like eating good, healthy whole foods. So if you're eating, for example, chicken and beef from the grocery store, you're eating factory farm food more likely. So if you don't know where your food comes from, take a minute and look at your options and adding percentages of being more self-reliant. I just did a thing with Didi, our one of our brand managers, talking about uh, growing microgreens. If you haven't been to Whole Foods recently, microgreens are super expensive. You can grow them in your window of your apartment. I mean, if you have a house, man, you can grow a whole crop full of them. But microgreens, super healthy. Now you don't have to pay for it in a grocery store. And now you're just adding a percentage of things that you don't have to depend on. I have the guys going out in a couple of weeks to meet a guy in Idaho who does goat packing. I'm trying to get goats. I want two goats. I want a goat uh, that's a male for packing. And I want a goat that's a female for milking because goat milk is super good. It's a super food. And I want to look at the ability of having uh, a, a male goat to bug out to carry weight that can carry up to 60 pounds in some cases and also have the ability to sustain myself off uh, the institutions. That's called self-reliance. Lastly, let's talk about, about mindset. This mindset. Mindset is the roof, the overarching uh, insulator to all these things. Without it, we're nothing. And you know, interesting things have come to light in the, in the recent uh, past about my education and understanding of neuroscience, brain science, and how it applies to survival. I found this fascinating uh, lady, uh, her podcast, let, let me actually fi- pull it up for you. Her podcast, um, her name's Stephanie, I'm going to hack this, Faye, and Stephanie has a podcast that I found on iTunes related to neuroscience and how we live one of the fascinating episodes that i i found had to do with um the way that we respond under stress and different processes neurologically physiologically and you know the sympathetic parasympathetic nervous systems uh within the the construct of our autonomic system is super fascinating to me but the idea of resilience actually becomes more significant in my mind. Her, her podcast is called Mindset Neuroscience. Mindset Neuroscience. If you go on um, most podcasts or Google it, Mindset Neuroscience, uh, Neuroscience by Stephanie Fay, and that's S-T-E-F-A-N-I-E, Fay, F-A-Y-E. So Stephanie talks about uh, these processes and systems. But what I realized is there's a big misunderstanding of the system and how it applies to our everyday lives when it comes to resilience. Like resilience is our ability to kind of overcome or, you know, overcome obstacles or adversity. Like what happens when you get punched in the face, literally or figuratively? And, and how do you get back on your own two feet? So when I think about um, some of the elements of survival, um, I, I think a lot of people's psychology are grossly affected based on their experiences and their understanding of this science and then tactics they could implement either in the moment or uh, prior to become more resilient. It doesn't have to be. Mindset does not have to be a super vague thing. Like I hear these guys say it all the time. Mindset is everything. I get that. And, And it makes sense to me But let's make sense of making sense. So, for example, this uh, and and I'm giving you the the broad overview here so you could do your own research. This vagus nerve that runs from the base of your neck or your brainstem all the way down through your colon that controls a lot of the autonomic responses that that, that you don't think about. This system is always in play. In social engagement, when it's activated because you're trying to sense the environment around you, whether it's safe or whether it's dangerous. I mean, we're always operating um, in this, I call it low grade stress state, assessing everything constantly. And that's autonomic, it's automatic. But some of the things that are interesting is how do you develop that? How do you become less anxious? How do you become more resilient? One thing that I've done my entire life that I just found on a, on a recent podcast from another neuroscientist was I took cold showers every morning. That stimulates the vagus nerve and actually reduces, uh, I think they call it um, heart rate uh, variability, which is, or, or it's a or it's, uh, 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 vagal tone is heart rate, measuring your heart rate variability which is the heart rate in conjunction with the breast. And Stephanie, if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. Um, but the idea is you have a vagal tone that could be measured based on your, your breathing and your heart rate. And you can actually reduce your heart rate by taking cold showers, by splashing cold water on your face or cold therapy. The guy who jumps in the polar water, uh, the, Nor- the, Nor- the Norwegians, the Swedens that do this as part of their culture, The people who use it as a seminar, there's science behind it. And that's super interesting to me. Take a cold shower, reduce your anxiety, lower your heart rate, and calm your vagus nerve. Calm your nerves. Something else that I use as a tactic for resilience is this idea of you have to build resilience through exposure. The more you expose yourself to uncomfortable circumstances, that doesn't have to be like a crazy thing. It could be camping then the more resilient you're going to build. It's the idea of like to, to affect even a single cell organism, that trauma, you know, that overcoming exposure is what leads to growth. And that's personally, that's professionally, uh, that's biologically. It all makes sense to me. So resilience and mindset go hand in hand in survival. Those people who actually quit on themselves and go parasympathetic in the collapse state are actually setting themselves up physiologically for death. You ever see the stories of people in austere environments and they basically just give up, they go to sleep, they just walk out into the cold? That's science behind that. That's just not psychological, that's physiological. So this pillars of preparedness concept is just an idea because this is the construct for what we use when we disseminate information to you. And we have breakouts. We talk about bug out. We talk about bug in first aid and trauma, technical skill sets, tactical skill sets. But this is all based on this idea of pillars of preparedness. So let's talk about what we have going on in the near future. I mean, Heber City, Utah. One, I want to say to everybody who um, if you haven't been to Utah, visit Heber City, Utah. If you, if you don't know where Heber City is, if you know where Salt Lake is, we're about 30 minutes up the road, uh, up in the mountains, right down the road from Park City. Park City is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. This whole region or this whole area is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. I'm staring at mountains covered in snow right now, and I love it. Heber City, Utah um, is, is right down the street from Park City in between Park City and Provo and Orem which is down in Salt Lake City. So when I, when I decided to move here, it was on a commute with Austin and um, Kevin Owens. We were driving from Montana. We stopped in Park City, spent the night, and then drove through here. And I literally pointed out this building. And I pointed out this building because the mountain proximity, it's just my feel, my vibe. And it was commercial property that was brand new. And I knew we had to make a move at some point. And I bought into the traditions, the demographic, the population, the culture, everything that's great about Utah. I joke and say Utah is Colorado, the best of Colorado and the best of Arizona. It's like they had a baby and that baby is Utah. It's mountains, it's desert, um, it's everything. The cool thing about it, the, the location we're at is we're in po- close proximity to everything you need that is in the wheelhouse of preparedness. An urban area, an urban sprawl, a rural area, the mountains, remoteness, hunting, fishing, the list goes on. So we built out a pro shop here. And, you know, big shout out to Brian Didi's husband on building this custom store downstairs because, man, we've been busting our butts. And when I say we, I mean him. The creative was um, based on a buddy of mine, Kevin from um, Oregon, who drove down tons of barnwood from beautiful Washington and Oregon that we were able to use and integrate into our business. So up here where I'm at in the studio, in my office, I have a beautiful barn wood and all the accents that are built into our store are from the barn wood from that, ex- from that trip. So the idea with our pro shop is fishing, hunting, survival. A little bit of bows, a little bit of uh, fly fishing gear, and a lot of survival stuff operating off the idea of pillars of preparedness we have an edc section we have a mobility section a homestead section Uh, we're even going to have a mindset section we even have a library we have a deep survival by lawrence gonzalez i have all of jack carr's books hell he'll be here next week signing those books but all of these things are tied into this place that we want you to come and experience where you can get the equipment, but you could be part of the experience that is everything preparedness. What's cool is we have in the back shop, we just actually cleaned out the back shop. And that back shop has a 4,000 square foot space for training. That training is not just tactical training because we, we do do that, but it's first aid, it's seminars, it's webinars. We're actually going to be hosting the equivalent of TED Talks for survival, which I think is super cool. Like the idea that um, uh, only academics or people who are uh, subject matter experts in their industry can talk formally in these presentations, speaking to a a higher uh, level of uh, academia is, is farce. I mean, the best stories that I've heard on the planet that have the most context and meaning to me are from buddies of mine who served in Operation Anaconda, you know, on Robert Ridge, who did the invasion, who were in significant battles and gunfights. Those stories of survival. I mean, Shackleton's not here to ter- tell the story of survival. Me and Kevin could do that. But those people who are still alive or uh, who experience those things firsthand need to have a place, a platform to be able to tell that story. And that's what that is in the back end of uh, the pro shop inside of our Heber city headquarters. I I wanna bring in people from different walks of life. I just talked to a patrol officer yesterday, a state trooper who was shot point blank range in the face with a 357 Magnum from a cartel guy. And his story of survival, not just the actual instance of him um, being shot, but everything that he went through, the training leading up to it, all that stuff's very pertinent and important. And we're going to capture it on audio, on video and have a public forum for people to come and learn. So that's something to look forward to. Uh, the, the new training course, like we're always trying to invent the wheel here. Um, I, I think tactical training is taught poorly. Uh, I wrote a write up this morning that I'm probably going to post by the time you hear this, it will be posted up. But I, I tactical training is misrepresented in many ways. Many people think tactical training is what I would call mechanics. Mechanics is learning gun handling. It's repping through a sequence of fire. It's building, it's building mechanics to repetition. That's not tactics. Tactics is the physical movement and, and tactical um, circumstances in an overall strategy. So clearing a house in CQB would be considered a tactic. The mechanics of that, the individual uh, soldier or person's individual movements are the mechanics. So what often you see is you go to a training course that's a tactical training course, and you're just shooting rounds into paper. And you're not getting anything out of it because if you understand the tactics, and then you understand the mechanics required to meet the objective of the tactic, you could go train that on your own but most places don't train tactics. Me and Kevin Owens train tactics. So we started this whole um, course curriculum based off of the idea of making decisions. We call it decision point. So you can call it DP, but not that kind of DP, decision point. So decision point is the, the idea that every single tactical situation requires decisions that could be indecision. The decision not to deliberately do something. I remember uh, me and Kevin's team sergeant once, he jokingly said, hey, there's this, there's this medal that's available. And it, this guy's name was Tony. I think this was 2008 in Iraq. And he said, there's this medal that's available called uh, restraint. And you get this medal for showing restraint on the battlefield. And we joked about it. And I, I thought it was comical. I thought it was funny. I don't even think it was a real thing. I think they actually came out for a bit. and It was like a ribbon or something like that. And you could put guys in, but I never saw anybody. I mean, you don't typically see that in special operations. So um, we did an op once and we were with the ICTF and I was running, I, I had a whole, um, a whole company. No, I had a whole troop. And I was running my troop down a alleyway because we were going to, uh, it's called flexing. We were going to another objective, but we had to move fast because the gunship above us identified another building and we were doing cross coverage. We were covering each other across from each other down a long alleyway and we got to the end of it. And I was with two Iraqis on the left side of the road and one of my buddies was on the other side of the road with a couple of Iraqis. And at this time, 08, it was like three Americans, like three Americans, the combat controller, and then a whole troop of Iraqis. We, had, we were limited in how many we can go out with. So when we went out um, on this op, we knew there was bad guy checkpoints all over the place. So as I went to clear the corner, remember I'm looking across in the opposing threat, I, I'm looking across the guy across from me and I'm turning blindly into a corner which is the street, but expecting that, right? It's deliberate. It's a tactic. It's cross coverage leading into a T-intersection in this case. So as we did that and I turned the corner, I ran into a vehicle with three guys with AK-47s. And instantaneously, my gun came up with the infrared laser that was already on. And I went from safe to semi, which is the flick of my thumb from the three o'clock position, flicking it down to the six o'clock position, which puts it on fire. And as I did that, I drove the gun up and I was prepared to break the shot. I even remember prepping the trigger in a military spec trigger. You have two points, you have two stages, you have a little slack before you hit a wall and then you break that wall and you break the shot. And so I had pulled all the slack out and I in a snapshot saw the demeanor of all three of them and i remember how i i thought instantly as they saw me in the street light that i was standing under in like very low light that they were instantly fearful which happens bad guys are fearful but their demeanor and where their guns were positioned, they immediately collapsed their hands I think one or two of them had guns slung, AK-47 slung, but they went gaunt, like they, they went limp and they didn't have a demeanor of fighting. I mean, if this was the year before, I would have just shot all three of them because of our rules of engagement and people were not out on the streets with guns. But this year was different. We had a whole plan of attack and uplifting communities. And so I didn't break the shot. And the Iraqis that were with me in a matter of seconds discovered in in knowing some of the guys that they were friends. They were actually a community watch that was organized by the US military in the area and they were doing their due diligence. But in one decision I had the decision to shoot or not shoot and if I would have shot that would have changed probably my life forever in different ways. So the idea of carrying a pistol every single day is something, at least in our community um, and the people we train, a normal routine. Sometimes it's not for for, uh, beginners, but carrying is a part of my life. But a part of people's life is not the decision matrix and the criteria for when they are going to pull the gun and use it. I was dumbfounded when I started running this course called EDC prepped, and I started asking the question in a scenario, I would ask them, Hey, if you had this scenario and you were, you had to pull your gun right now, why would you pull your gun? And how would you pull your gun? And a lot of the, the questions that I asked were answered with legal jargon. That's typical that, that you see in a concealed carry class. Like based on the laws or rules of engagement in my area, I would blah, blah. I'm I'm not asking that. What I'm asking is I gave you the scenario. You saw what you saw because I gave you that information. What are your actions going to be? And the answers differed depending on the society and culture that we were in, the state, the city, the town. And so what I realized is universally There's not a lot of good information on the right decisions to make when under stress, which a lot of people don't teach in the first place, and uh, you have a life or decision to make uh, in milliseconds. If you pull a gun and you shoot somebody in America right now, based on everything that's happening and going on, you are not going to get the benefit of the doubt. You're not going to get what Uh, war fighters get on on the battlefield because of the fogs of war you are going to be held accountable and if you made one mistake in any way you will go to prison potentially for the rest of your life I actually had a buddy of mine um, I won't say his name because um, it's a pretty private uh, and, and tragic circumstance where his wife in a bar fight after she witnessed him getting his head bounce off of the concrete Ground sidewalk outside the bar in Good Old Fayetteville, North Carolina, um, pulled her pistol from her purse, purse, and one of the guys who was beating her husband to death, he he beat him unconscious, um, and 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 into coma, uh, shot him point blank range in the chest and killed the guy that was beating her husband. She went to prison because they they uh, prosecuted her. Um, in a court of law using witnesses that were his buddies and also using um, people from that community, which were not very friendly to say that um, it was unwarranted and she should be charged with manslaughter. She went to prison for seven years for defending her husband's life. So when we look at decision point, we we break it down in specific things. Uh, The first one we're gonna run, which is on March 13th, is a course that it has to do with concealed carry considerations for self defense. That course is going to be taught via simunitions. Look simunitions is not an airsoft pistol. It's not a plastic pellet, a 0.177 grain plastic pellet that goes hundred feet per second. Simunitions is an actual operating pistol that shoots a primed cartridge that shoots a projectile at the front end and ejects and extracts a piece of brass out the side. Because everything that feels real, uh, all the senses that are activated, um, there's a little bit of uh, audibility there because the the actual sound, um, it's not going uh, more than 400 feet per second. So it's not as loud in the crack. You don't get the concussion, but you get the recoil. You get the cycle of operation and you get the stress that also allows us to do scenarios safely reducing our liability and your liability and safety allowing you to operate and learn in a training environment you're going to make mistakes the mistakes i want you to make are in training inside of our training facility not when it happens in real life so what we'll be doing is going through a discussion um, teaching outlined um, case Examples of what's right versus what's wrong, um, describing in detail the errors of perception and what we perceive is not always what is real, and then allowing you to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. We'll set you in scenarios that you'll feel are impossible, but are based on scenarios that have happened in real life. We'll do this all using simunitions, role players, and actual targets in our warehouse 4,000 square foot, uh, square foot facility in Heber City, Utah. That course is available right now uh, online. And I tell you right now, um, it's all inclusive and it will not last long. This isn't a sales pitch, this is the reality of, of training for Fieldcraft Survival. It won't last long. Um, it, it is a higher price point because it's all inclusive. You could fly in, you don't have to bring ammo, you don't have to bring the gun. We're even going to include the holster for you You don't even have to bring eyes and ears because we'll provide that in the facility. You just need to show up if you want to take notes, bring a notepad and pen, and we'll get started. Um, Something cool about this is this migrates into different things. This is decision point, not just for uh, tactical self-defense, but survival, first aid. Man, the list goes on. There's so many things that need to be discussed when it comes to making life or death decisions in the world in which we live. You guys can go to philcraftsurvival.com and find more out about that. Something excited that uh, Kevin Owens brought to my attention uh, a few days ago is this course that him and the guys are designing. Um, I don't want to spoil it, but what I'll tell you is it's going to be in spring and probably going to be one of the most well-evolved and immersed courses you've ever experienced. Uh, The premise or the the ideas based on the experiences we had in robin sage of being in immersed in an environment that everything feels so real like you're actually in an hostile uh, environment you're going to learn through experiences and uh technically by train the trainer concept of going on this whole journey that will be a five-day experience and a five-day course you show up sunday You'll get an in brief. You'll get ready, and then the adventure will begin. That's going to be dropping soon, and I think we got a name for that. What's the, did we decide? Breakout. 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 So it's like breaking out of a bad situation. It's breaking out of your comfort zone. It's breaking yeah out of your your routine. It- breaking out is the name, and uh, Kevin was describing how it's not just breaking out or bugging out like we describe it from bad to good, but that's psychologically, that's physically. That's so many things that, uh, again, I won't spoil it for you, but it's gonna be very, very interesting. Uh, lastly, I just want to cover some of the things that we'll cover in that uh, decision point course, that five hour course with me and Kevin Owens. Mindset, decision points, uh, stress management, threat assessment can still carry consideration, and gunfighting tactics, which is the mechanics. We'll teach you those mechanics here in our facility. So uh, again, describing all the things that have go- been going on what I like about the back section is this idea of bringing in authors, bringing in experts. We have Yusuf coming next weekend to teach a situational awareness course. We are booking. We are booking currently for the rest of the year. Um, people who want to come and do seminars, um, want to do small venues of training with us. If you're interested, uh, go and email us uh, at info at philcraftsurvival.com. Uh, put attention uh uh, training or in the subject line put training and we'll make sure we communicate to you and and get you in if you're in our wheelhouse and you're willing to come out here and share your wealth of knowledge we're all about that and we want to encourage of subject matter experts in their field or people who have experienced and overcame adversity and survival to come please do that with us guys this is a uh, 48 minute podcast i didn't want to make this too long because I wanted to stick it to your commute, um, man. Philcraft Survival has come a long way, uh, and we're growing and adapting and evolving every single day. Uh, one of the one of the last things I want to talk to you about is our our concept um, called Philcraft Frontier. Frontier is about craftsmen. It's about using your hands. It's about appreciating um, uh, people, uh, specifically in America, who are still using their hands. If you haven't realized right now, we live in a global economy where a lot of things that we use, that we wear, they're not made in America. And I get it. Try to get an American to sit down in a factory and grind for 12 hours a day. Not happening. But tr- getting an American, uh, a leather craftsman, a leather worker, a um, try to get a, uh, a steel worker, somebody who forges a blacksmith. Man, you're gonna get the most beautiful things ever made, and that community, that idea, that concept, those products, those things we want to bring to you. So we opened up our own leather shop here. You can go on uh, Philcraft Frontier on Instagram, and you can also look at PhilcraftSurvival.com and see some of the offerings that we're bringing. Uh, I'm talking right now to a, a gal that makes soap. I'm talking to a knit maker who makes wool blankets. All kinds of cool stuff. Um, We want to support small business, but we also want to uh, keep craftsmen alive. I mean, Phil craft is based on honing your craft um, and making it a part of your life and not just a hobby. Till next time, guys. Stay alert. Stay alert.